Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, a weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit www.thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters John Stevens, Peter Corrigan, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Alex Possels, Berkshire Beer Box and Ryan Charlton. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast John from Hackney Brewery based in North London. Hackney Brewery was founded in 2011 by Peter Hills and John Swain in a couple of Hackney railway arches. Towards the end of 2020, they ran a crowdfunder, which successfully raised almost £50,000 to fund the development of a new brewery and tap room just up the road in Walthamstow, which is due to open very soon. Hackney Brewery is extremely environmentally conscious, using exclusively green energy, paying all staff a living wage and with a passionate focus on recycling at every stage of the business. John, please introduce yourself. Tell me about your beer journey and how you came to launch Hackney Brewery. Hi, Rob. We started home brewing in Pete's basement three years before we set the brewery up. It all came about after a night out after work. We were working in the Eagle Pub in Farringdon. Right. We went out to the pub and the conversation turned to his granddad brewing kit beer from right. the old tins, tins yeah, of yeah. I know the ones you home mean. brew. <laughs> And my dad used to make strange fruit wines and he had like a Demijohns bubbling away in the air. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the smell is the kind of nostalgic smell of, of something fermenting, I think. was Yeah, what... there really is that lovely yeasty sort of smell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the conversation kind of drifted on so we should give that a go. Let's try and, and I'd, be, I'd love to make some beer. That's how it all really began. Right. During those three years at the time, I was with a chef and the owner of the Eagle. We're looking to start a pub of our own. Okay. So we were, the idea was, it was never really a brewery. It was we were going to invest in it in a, in a pub. Right. Uh, but we just couldn't find a site. We looked around so many different areas. We spent every weekend just looking at a pub. But we were so new to the industry that I think we were given the dregs of what was available. Okay. <laughs> and. Nothing really kind of came on. The two other investors that were coming in with me and Pete went off to do other things. They had brought property and right. went off to other projects. And it was just me and Pete left. And then I'd moved to another pub, Charles Lamb, uh, where in Angel, which was like a lovely locals, French-themed pub. And they right. had, uh, we got the opportunity there to kind of really get into a bit more beer. We were doing a lot of home brewing, really getting into that side of things. Right. And Toby, the manager at the time, was really keen on his beer and all this kind of craft ales coming through. I think we were the, one of the first bars to get Colonel in, Camden, oh, wow. when they okay. first started up. Yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of era yeah. where craft beer was just kind of showing its head in London a little sure. bit. Yeah. And we got the opportunity to go and visit some of these places. We went to go and visit Brodie's. Nice. We went to go visit Windsor and Eton. We went to go see Camden, uh, Colonel. And there was a point where Pete had been traveling at this point as well. He, he went to France for a year or two. Um, right. To kind of do chefing out. He was a chef okay. at the Charles Lamb and I was behind the bar. And it came to the point where he'd come back from traveling around. He, he was working in another pub up the road. And then we had a job come up at the Charles Lamb. So he came to work for the Charles Lamb for a bit. Mm-hmm. And he came with us to one of these brewery visits where we stepped out of it going pub's not going to happen is it there was a point where we were just like let's do a, a, a small brewery somewhere and, and we can get going that way and then the idea was that it was just two guys in a shed brew a couple of times a week on a kit that was sustainers and we can relax <laughs> how's that working out <laughs> yeah uh when we started in 2011 i think there were like 14 15 breweries in london yes. yeah and by the end of the first so 2013 20 2013, there must have been about 30-odd. Okay. And then the end of the next year was 60 I'm not quite sure on the exact numbers. It was so fast, the growth. And yes. it was all everywhere you turned, there was like a new brewery coming along. And, and we were swept up in it, yep. in a way, where the demand for what we were doing was, we were always one step behind. We never planned for half the things. <laughs> then we spent the first three years making cask. It was cask-only brewery. I was going to say, what were you brewing in 2011? So it was cask bitters yeah, and pails and... three beers. It was a best bitter, a golden ale and, a, and an, an American pale ale. Okay, yeah. Which 
I, you know, strange enough, I dug out some of these the brew sheets the other day, and then, <laughs> uh, the brewing industry's changed, and brewing has changed, and those recipes I don't think we'll ever see the light of day again. No, possibly uh, not. No, um, well, that maybe the best bitter is coming back into fashion yeah, a bit, isn't it? But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe it never went out of fashion actually. But. Yeah, uh, I'd go with that. But it's changed so much, and we were always playing catch up. And it got to the point where we started hiring. So after those first three years, we started hiring people, uh, which was great and also scary because I yeah. think the first three years, it was just me and Pete. Sure. And I was stuck in the cave and he was it out. Is, doing- it is the most scary part of growing a business, isn't it? Is that point at which you suddenly can't do it for yourself. You need staff. It's- <laughs> yeah, it just gets a bit much. And after three hmm. years, I think it because I couldn't drive. Okay. at the time and Pete could so he was doing the deliveries yeah my dad helped us with the finances a bit mm. but Pete essentially did all the fine all the bookkeeping okay and it, it just worked out that way that I ended up doing the majority of the brewing right he did a lot of the support and well, did everything else I mean it's, it's surprising running it we didn't know much about running a business <laughs> when we started <laughs> and it all crept up on us really really hard and fast over those first three years mm. and then Pete luckily got on a business course in central london somewhere and that's that was the turning point so okay. from years three to six i think that's when we started hiring people and you know, right. getting the help in that we needed and we were spent those three years planning the next phase so it's four years ago now we had a complete refit yeah of, I, I picked that up somewhere brewery. i was doing my research this afternoon said you had new kit in yeah uh 2016 yeah yes i think that's that's about yeah. right uh, yeah, so yeah, five years in new kit, yeah. we had a re- refit. Yeah, no, that's that's right. Where we got new fermenters because we were doing brewing on open top fermenters, right? Flat which, bottoms which suited your cask brewing. Yeah, in the early uh, days, but presumably at that stage you'd pivoted to start to brew more keg beer. Or we had we were brewing stuff in our brewery and sending it away to get packaged, which okay. it was necessity. We didn't have any money, and it was stuff that we were dipping our toe in the water. We did that for about a year. Hmm. We weren't very happy with it. Nobody is. We I knew that think, the new kit no. was coming, and that was when everything was changing anyway, like 2015. Yep. Sure. Into that, like, dispense method was, was picking up. We had to catch up because there's so many breweries. We were terrified of being left behind and right. stagnating. Sure. So, I, I think part of our business ethics, you know, or persona is yep. progression. Right. And we just felt that that was what we had to do. It served a purpose, and then when the new kit came in, conical bottoms, pressure vessels, brand new fermentator, cleaning place systems, or everything kind of came in at once. And nice. we brought kegging in house, which mm-hmm. uh, it, it just everything felt so much better in, yeah, in yeah. 2016 onwards. And that was around the time at the end of 2016, early 2017, is when we got our designer on board as well. Right, Pete Fowler came on board. He's an amazing artist to work with. Amazing style, very distinct. Yeah, I love and the I, think, I love the pastel shades on it. It's a really distinctive color palette, isn't it? Funnily enough, he mentioned to me the other day because he was looking back at the old original concepts that he was thinking of. And they were kind of character-based artwork, but I think we wanted to go a bit more landscapey, natural. We didn't want people on the front of our cans because there's a lot of talk about gendering of, of beer and yeah, absolutely, uh, beers for everyone. So we wanted yeah. to be avoid that. I think sure. we, we also briefed um, avoiding other breweries with illustrating designs. We said, like, just let's stay away from all of these concepts that they've dived in on, like skeletons and all the rest of it. We sure. like, not go anywhere near that. And it was really the missing piece to tie in the beers we were making on this new kit that just had jumped up a level. Right. And the branding jumped up a level. So, And then the run in out of that for the, for the next, between 16 and 19. 2016 right. and 2019 mm-hmm. it, amazing response from everyone right and it's good to mention now that a lot of our beer doesn't leave london right so we produce well, in the before times before the lockdown yep. we were making between four and five times a week okay on a two thousand two and a half thousand liter kit so yep. we're brewing between 10 and twelve thousand liters pretty a week. Con- consistently yeah. Yeah, a, week, a week which is a lot of beer it's a lot yeah. of beer. People are always quite surprised that <laughs> every time I go up to Windy Man or to a official beer festival yeah. and then get chatting to brewers out there, they're like, I've heard of you, never had your beer. Never see your beers like, anywhere out here because yeah. they're not, not in London. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it, they, because everything going and goes on our doorstep and, and it's in keg. You know, we've we, yeah. we built our business on keg and it's, it's direct to pubs. Sure. Try and support the pub trade as much as we can. And I think in the before times, it was about 3% 
of our production got canned. Oh wow! So it's a very yeah, small yeah. amount. Yeah. Obviously, that went to a hundred percent. In the first about a year ago, when yep. <laughs> the initial lockdown happens, everything flipped to cans. Which again, we got quite lucky with. We had ten tanks full of beer. <laughs> they were all due to be packaged, and we were called in a lot of favors with packaging canning lines to get all of that done right. into cans. Which, which again, from one of those strange outcomes of it, we had an amazing array of beer in cans for the first time. Like we had everything in yeah, cans. Because we you had like, a, yeah, this you is had amazing. A, yeah, you had a tank of each beer probably that yeah, in yeah. your range there, and they loads so, of specials that we had got ready. A, yeah, terrific. Some we had lager. We had tanks of like special lagers that we'd had. Okay. Um, nice. Just, just like really lovely condition, mm. and everything got canned like that within a few weeks, and we were. So you had a mobile can and come in and do that? Or? Yep. There's just no room in these. Like, this old site is no. two old railway arches that were perfect when we first moved in right. for our initial plan of pots and pans and two lads. <laughs> but we initially had one, which everything was in. Yep. And there was like a mezzanine bit where the offices were. And then as we put more and more tanks in, we needed a bigger cold room. We needed a malt store, a hop yep. store, everything that just got more and more. You kind of got to have more and more on site. Sure. We were lucky enough that the next door railway arch came available. Nice. Yeah. Where we turned that into a warehouse, basically. So everything got stored into it and we grew and grew and grew. <laughs> With the old brew kit, it was five barrel, six barrel brew kit. Yep. We had like 15 fermenters and we were triple brewing and it was a nightmare. <laughs> it just got to the point where we were like, long we days. Yeah, we yeah. just can't <laughs> do this anymore. We're killing ourselves, mm. kind of stuck in a hole. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I was planning the, the expansion and the rearrange of the brew kit. And in 2016, that happened. So, yeah, full circle on that one. That's, uh, just a couple of questions just to finish off that arc before we get into talk about sure. the first beer, which is, so are you producing any cask beer now? Or you know, had you pivoted to 100% keg and now can? So when the new kit came in 2016, we never said we're not going to make cask beer. Mm -hmm. It just faded out with the demand for the keg beer. Yep. And there was a point probably in 2018 where the last cask beer got made it definitely ran down yeah. from a hundred percent cask to a good 90 odd percent keg right within a few years and i don't think we're gonna make two we were talking about this today actually mm. if we're gonna make cask because obviously we're moving we're packing up all of our old casks yeah yeah they're still in the yard and we're we haven't got many left if we've sold quite a lot of them but but again, we're all kind of like, we don't want to say never. No, it's a tricky. But, yeah. but when it happens, it has to be right. Personally, I don't think we're going to focus on it too much. No. Um, and an even harder question then is how much of your production do you think you'll pivot back into keg as the on-trade starts opening up? Hopefully back to the before numbers of 90%. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. yeah, I strongly believe that that is us brewing that beer for pub specific. And you know, we're in London, there's pub yep. on every corner pretty much. And that's what we want to support we want to support that side of things i mean obviously the new site will have a tap room and i right. suspect there'll be a lot more can sales happening yeah. on that site yeah so maybe yeah i mean 80 90 back up to cut to keg and the rest into cans i hope fingers crossed that a lot of the the can sales and market we have now over the lockdowns that we've had and yep uh, people buying our cans will continue and we can grow that a little bit well, that can only happen if, you, if you're putting that same amount of beer into can, though, can't it, John? Otherwise, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why I asked the question. And, and there's also a commercial aspect to this as well, isn't there? Because I'm assuming you're making a fair bit more profit per liter in your canned beer than you are uh, when you're putting it into keg. From the direct sales, I think yes. I mm. think to, to wholesaling side of thing is we, there's not a lot of profit in it. No. If we're talking about margins on on cans because of the mobile canning side of things, the can, sure. the label, the can, yeah, yeah, no. and the process. And without getting our own canning line, I think that's the, it's quite a slim margin. Yeah. Uh, but maybe if the the volumes continue to grow, I mean, we're not brewing very much. I mean, this is the other side of things. Like, no, I say a hundred percent of what we were doing is going into cans, but we weren't brewing a hundred percent of the volume that no. we were doing before. I think it was like, I think it. I'd love to know actually what, what the average is out over the the year that we mm -hmm. haven't brewed but it, it's significantly down like yeah maybe even a quarter less than a quarter of what we were doing before wow. four okay. times yeah, yeah we, we got hit really hard because because of our market yeah because of fact, the you city. were so pub focused so yeah so okay yeah. and the response that we got from setting up an online shop with cans with that range the yeah. initial 
push of we are we doing this now after 10 years and <laughs> right. yeah. and everyone the locals were so responsive there was one one man in particular names not on the tip of my tongue but he was um visiting uh, down from stoke newington he went home and just wrote it on his stoke newington community group this was now live nice and we got that that night i think was the turning point from having a trickle of like two orders right a week come through for the first few weeks to a few hundred uh, um, over that month Oh, because fantastic. of that, because yeah, of yeah. that, like word of word of mouth. Yeah, well, um, it just it, it's small things like that that made the difference, gets you through it, the, the hardship. Yeah, excellent. People supporting independence this whole year has been fantastic. I'm, I'm sure I'm not. We're not the only brewery. No, that, that that's kind of reflected on. But. but it's an interesting point about having a good range of beer in can because obviously, like everybody, I've been ordering most of my beer online over the past year and you go to a brewery website and i'll often do that go to a new brewery website because i'm always trying to spread my business around a bit and i'm I'm looking for at least four or five beers to put a a dozen Mm -hmm. together from i'm not going to pretty much if i go to a a brewer's website and they've only got two or maybe three beers i'm probably not going to order anything i'm afraid because i don't want to buy six of a beer that i haven't had or even four quite honestly you know i'd much sooner buy six pairs or you know better still 12 singles so that's <laughs> yeah uh, you know and if you haven't got that range available then i'm afraid probably not going to get my business but you know it's, it's, it's hard isn't it yeah it's, hard. it's like a hard balance to think and also we where we wanted to set up the can side of things was we still wanted to support the local bottle shops so where we mm-hmm. priced everything was in line with, with what they were pricing okay that's that. nice so yeah i think we were under the assumption if you wanted lumps of our beer you come to us if you wanted more of a selection of choice we'd send you to places that you could get more of a choice from right but yeah. not feel like you were going well i'm not the amount i'm spending on that brewery isn't going to be affected it's just like that yeah. is there's more choice that's what they bottle shops exist for is having a huge amount of choice of course it is yeah um, absolutely so that's I, I get your point of like oh you need to have a range but i think there's there's options out there that, are, that definitely but can fulfill that need to yeah a hundred percent together yeah no you're absolutely right let us talk about this first beer which is millions of peaches your four percent fruited sour the taste notes i have so it's a peach and basil sour infused with basil and a heavy load of sweet peaches accentuated with a sharp kettle sour base i think this is really lovely actually it's four percent i think although it, i don't think it's got any or much salt in it does it um, no salt it, no no it salt. tastes as though it's it has not. salt in it which is really interesting because okay. i'm used to drinking ghosts well, this is a good thing yeah. by the way don't i'm guessing that's like saline is from the basil yeah so. i think it is that's what i was going to say and that's really interesting because i got quite obsessed with the saltier the ghosts are the better these days right. and and so th- this has that so whether it's a saline note or whatever but but i can i'm definitely getting that sort of dryness on the tongue from what would usually be salt and as you say almost certainly is basil in this case but it's I, the fruit flavors are brilliant and it's just got a nice level of acidity or sharpness you know it's to not, a- not, not come up too sweet yeah, so we didn't want to go too crazy on the souring on this. I think it's, it's 3.25 pH kind of area. Okay, right. So it's sour. It's mm-hmm. got a sharpness to it, but it's not like face melting. No, not... not. Um, and especially with the peach edition, the flavours from the lactobacillus strain, we were using the, the Lalamond. Okay. Well, brew stuff. to kettle sour this. Although it's, we actually sour this in our FV. Um, oh. We have temperature control on our FV for heating and cooling which is quite rare I think people okay. usually just have cooling there was a half inch BSP threaded port on the side of the tank that had a thermometer in it but there was also a thermal well around the back of it okay. and we were like well it's we've got a digital thermometer in it why do we need this analog thermometer at the front yeah. of it so we took that out and we had this port and we, we were thinking it'd be really good to get a heating rod in there Mm. it gets quite cold in the winter in these railway arches yeah it, it does yeah, yeah absolute nightmare to heat them <laughs> um <laughs> so we ended up finding these rod heaters that were okay. just enough to keep it within a degree 2000 meters within a degree of temperature moving right so that's why we sour in, in fvs because okay. the control in the temperature is far more precise than doing it in the kettle yeah where the kettle loses a lot of heat from the chimney and right. the top, you know, it's designed to boil and blow off as a lot of steam and sure. get a boil off percentages that we were after. So it made sense to lock it in. And I feel like that's the secret to our sours is they come across a lot fruitier from the base sour that we mm-hmm. make in the, in the FV opposed to what was, I think we, we trialed it 
in the kettle, you know, we were sealing up the chimney with pallet wrap and a pillow went up there on the order of all the rest of it, trying to seal it all up. <laughs> but yeah, we were getting far richer results and mm. more consistent results from chucking it in their feet where we can really control it. And those fruity notes are really accentuated through doing that. This recipe in, in particular came from one of the first trials we did of a sour beer right. where we were doing, we spent a year, we did four seasons and we basically brewed a full two and a half thousand liters of a, of a beer. Right. We split the three, I mean, we had IBCs. Okay. We kind of broke the beer down into three things and we did three different beers. Right. The same base and then packaged off of that. This was the first one we did. So there was a, a sour, a wheat beer, right. a Vienna kind of base beer yep. and a stout. That was the kind of seasonal yeah, yeah. for every yeah, three months. Range. And this was, and, there, and we called it the Stooge Project because everything was split into three. So okay. it was all, yeah. kind of, you know, and there was always a weird one, a, a relatively straight one and, a, <laughs> and something that we can like, fit in between. So I think this batch was split into three, which was a goes, it was just salted, mm -hmm. dry hopped yep. one, which was heavily yep. dry hopped with, okay. I can't remember what that was, years ago. <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, this one, which was peach and, peach and basil. Mm. which is the slightly off the wall one which disappeared incredibly quickly it was right. uh, a brainchild of darren walker who now works for deviant and days ahead deviant and dandy now okay yeah and it, it was an immediate yes from me because mm. i was yeah, like it's a good uh, recipe i like it a lot yeah uh, i think it was from a cocktail book he had like um mm. i think he had it in a cocktail bar somewhere mm. and i was like this works and yeah. uh, the sales team were a bit dubious about it about at the time <laughs> and i was like let's just make it and then see what happens uh, so the peach I've, I've actually just been contemplating a bit so the peach flavor actually yeah. reminds me of and i don't know whether you can remember back this far because i'm a little bit older than you are but you remember a vodka mixer called russian from about 25 no. 30 i want to say I don't, i've not seen it for at least 20 25 years but it was made by schweppes unfortunately not that that's <laughs> what the hell that's got to do with beer but it was it was very heavily advertised on the tv at the time and it was a pink sort of colored mixer a bit like you know sold in tonic water sized bottles I and mean, it was right. called russian but it's the, the, the russian the, like they had the sch or the like the schweppes in the middle right. for the spelling and that was a peach flavored sparkling mixer that they were advertising for for mixing with vodka and it, it was you know it was pleasant enough this has similar <laughs> flavor to it only the, it, but without the basil and without the salt and without anything yeah. like so, so this is much fruitier as well but it's definitely reminiscent of that so i'd be curious to if you ask you know anybody else has that same thought but i, I it's definitely it really reminds me of that I, th I think it, the, when we first initially first said it, people were like, it tastes like peach-flavoured fizzy sweets. Mm. And I think that's, strangely, for a sour, I think there's an inherent sweetness to it, which is a sweet and sour, that tingly kind of soury, mm. like, like sour fruits, love, like sweets. Yep. I think that as a package of what this beer is really makes it accessible and just easy it's an easy yeah. drinker and i think that's mm. is now a cool range beer good i was going to ask you that i mean this is going to sell yeah. really well this summer i think on draft this is going to be you know lovely in the sunshine it's good <laughs> so we've released it every year now for about four years mm. um every year is the, the amount we brewed has doubled so oh, great. From, so yeah from that first batch was a third and then the next year we did a full batch right year after we did two full batches mm. last year no not last year 2019 yeah Last year doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, last year we brewed more of it than ever. I think oh, wow. that, we did okay. like four or five brews of it last year. Nice. Even in the down, even in the in the dark days. Um, but it is. It's such a. It got to the point where we would we were right. It's a seasonal. We'd release it, and uh, yep. it, it came to the point where it was just people were getting what we call peach fever, where at the end of summer <laughs> they were like, "We want it. How much do we pay you for it?" And it was nice. just like, "Well, it's not an easy beer to make." No. The sheer amount of basil that goes into it, we have to pick it and blend it, and the peaches that go into it, and the extended. It takes about a month to make. It. Does it? Bloody yeah. It's, um, we sour it over a weekend, mm. and then we ferment it for a week, and then we rack it into another vessel. Add right. peaches. Yeah. Add that slowly for I think that takes about two weeks to because we do it at very cold temperatures to kind of lock in the peach flavors. Yeah. Keep it cold. And then we add in the basil, we leave mm. it another like, half a week, and then we transfer it. We, we, no, then we crash it cold as when we add, add the basil because we don't want right. it to extract too much of the vegetal flavors from the leaves. No. Leaves, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we leave that 
sell out over, over a week and then we crash it very, very cold, very quickly. Okay. And then we let as much of that dropping the trub out of it uh, yeah. quite constantly. So, and then that's probably like another week. And then we transfer it onto another vessel to, to carbonate. And so it's, it's a very involved. That's a lot of messing about. Yeah. yeah. It takes a month or so to, to, to actually make one. It is now core. We hopefully in the new site, we'll have dedicated peach tank. So nice. we can always keep on turning over. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd imagine it'd be very shelf stable as well, wouldn't it? I mean, it's not. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's gonna, yeah, yeah. Know, low, very low it doesn't pH. hang around for that long. I'm sure. But if it did, I'd, yeah. it would be good for years. I should think in, you know, <laughs> yeah, low, low pH, no hops to fade on it. And yeah. the malt base is, is a it's 50% wheat, 50% mm. barley. So my point that's is, if people are worried about running out, what they need to do is come and buy three or four cases from you, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That one, that one. But yeah, we're really super, super happy with the way that it's developing. I think we, over the years, we've put more and more peaches into it. I think like there was a point where we're like, every year people will complain that it's not as peachy as the one before last year. So I think we ended up putting just loads and loads of peaches into it so it's, it's pureeing so um, you can't win with recipes from year to year anyway because no, people so will always it, complain that it's never the same yeah. you know because so that, it's just people's memories just are not what they think they are <laughs> i think we try and get that balance of uh, mm. of what and where it's at it's uh, we, we want to keep that soft sourness and yeah. keep those fruity mm. forefront flavors and i think we'll just keep touching up the peaches every year mm. very slowly you so need, it's always yeah. a bit more it's always a bit more so if yeah. anyone says anything we'd be like it is always Actually. more yeah, always more. <laughs> but I do wonder at the point where there'll be like a hundred percent peach juice, peach, peach yes. and, uh, no beer in it. But That's all you can do. Yeah, we'll cross that line when we get to it in about hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> How many other sales are you making regularly? Um, so along the same theme of the millions of peaches, we've done millions of cherries, okay. millions of uh, what do we do with drop projects? We did collab with them mangoes we did millions of mangoes and we before christmas we just packaged um millions of mojitos Ah. which was mint and lime which is face puckering it is incredibly Mm, i like the sound of that though yeah but yeah it's it's great i think no dark Uh, fruits no black currants or raspberries not yet we did um a fruited pale ale which was um when did we do that 2018 2019 we did a collab with polly's yeah we did a fruited pale with them. Blueberries and raspberries, I think it was. Right. Nice. It was a 6% beer that was just, mm. that was just like um, fruited. It turned out really, really well. It was called Wondermare. Okay. And we wanted to do something. It must have been the year before. When was that? 2019, it was 2019 we did the Polys Collab. So 2020, we released yeah. uh, Long Range, which is well, the same base recipe of, of the base beer, yep. different fruits. It was okay. um, blackberries and black currants. Nice. And uh, it's like a hedgerow theme. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Hedgerow, hedgerow fruits, and it those fruits carried across way more than the blueberries and raspberries mm-hmm. did. And to the point where someone commented, they were saying it was more fruit than pale, but it was the same ratios. <laughs> yeah, there was just those kind of fruits. I think just carry. A, yeah, just a lot really more dominant flavors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I'll tell you what, John. Let's take a short break. This week in craft beer was founded in January 2020 and publishes a weekly email newsletter and a weekly podcast. We are proud of what we managed to accomplish in the challenging year of 2020. However, we have lots more that we want to do in 2021. In order to fund these activities and to enable our community to get more involved with the creative process at Twickup, we have launched a Patreon membership program. Full details of how you can get involved, starting at less than the cost of a half-decent can of beer per month, can be found at patreon.com slash thisweekincraftbeer. Don't worry, our weekly newsletter and podcast will continue to be free for everyone. The Patreon membership offers access to a range of brand new Twigger products and services. Please check it out and let us know what you think. So I'm back with John from Hackney Brewery for the second half of the show. John, can you tell me what makes you guys different? What is it that uniquely profiles Hackney Brewery to stand out in the UK craft beer scene in 2021? I'm I'm sure we're not the only ones that do this, but I'm going to say ethics. I think we are very strong on our beliefs of how we operate. We don't do interns. We think that everyone gets paid if you work with us. No one works for free. So especially as we're a London living wage company and because I did it, my background is in the music industry Mm -hmm. and I did a lot of free work for people who profited off of it. Yeah, it's easy for people to take advantage of that, isn't it? Especially in in fashionable industries where people are desperate to get a foothold. It's not fair. I think Pete did a bit of that as well when he was coming up through his career path. It's something that we've just, we just cannot do to anyone else. 
So we'll always, if anyone does any work for us, we'll pay them. Uh, so, so we do trial shifts for brewers. When we get a new brewer on board, we pay them for the trial shift. So there's little things like that that, nice. yeah. that you know, we don't brag about, although talking about it now it's like uh it never really gets mentioned and we never really talk about it i don't know why but it's admirable that's for sure yeah yeah it's it's bits that we do lots like that and i think that the care of staff is is incredibly important you know when all the pandemic hit we were we were terrified when one of our brewers actually was was ill and statutory sick pay was so low it was we were looking at all we spent a day pretty much looking at what we can do what would be the best situation because they weren't coming back for work for probably about a month if they were quarantined and if they did get ill and all the rest of it, it turned out they were fine in the end it was all fine but these things weigh heavy on us that's what i'm trying to say yeah it's like, absolutely. Um, yeah i find it quite difficult to talk about this kind of stuff because it's it's internal personal to me yeah. it's yeah. business and i take quite everything quite personally here so right <laughs> that's why i don't look untapped and stuff because it's like comments when the good things happen they it's great I love hearing praise. Who doesn't? Mm. But I do worry about negative things that we could have prevented with our attitudes and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think it's overlooked quite a lot. We just want people to work hard mm-hmm. and get remunerated for it and then yeah. have us give them opportunity to, to do things like visit beer festivals and mm. be involved in the industry. And if, and if they've got like a, you know, a career path that they wanted to take, I want them to leave here in a better position that will give them a leg up going further on. So I think we've had, I think everyone who's come through here has, has, has gone on to head brewer right. roles in, in other brewery, nice. which, you know, I, I would, re- I would regret it if someone just sidestepped us yeah. to a dead end or went down or left us to do something lesser. Than yeah. Left the industry or whatever. That would be the disappointing. <laughs> yeah. But based on what we've done. The experience. And, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I expect, us to be a jumping board in a way so they can yeah. come through us and go on to better things and learn well, so more no, if you're hiring young people with a, a opportunity for growth then that's going to happen isn't it and but you, know, you just want to you hope that they leave you with a good reputation and a good experience yeah. and a good opinion of your business that's that's we we, focus, we go at our own pace i think mm. is we're very organic very slow but when we do things we do it with a lot of thought because right as soon as someone does something new, we start thinking about it. It might take us three years to actively activate it or 10 years to do a tap room. It, yep. it, it will be heavily, heavily thought about. We don't take mm-hmm. these things on lightly. And, uh, so I think that's probably what makes us a bit unique is that we, we don't rush into things. No, and that um, probably is quite unusual actually in today's scene where it seems like everything's so moving at breakneck yeah. speed. Uh, I mean, we missed the whole Brute IPA thing. We never made one, and I never will. Yeah. That was definitely an aberration, the Brute IPA, yes. <laughs> never mind. We made our first black IPA um, okay. over last summer. Mm. Um, our, new, our, our sales guy, Tom, yeah, uh, he, uh, he requested it, and mm. I obliged. Because uh, I was intrigued. I'm intrigued yeah, much that style. It's a, it's a much more interesting style, and it's, a, it's quite a wide spectrum, so it can be can be almost yeah. what you want it to be, a black IPA. Can it, you know? But I was going more, I mean, we ended up, chucking loads of mosaic into it because I wanted those kind of blueberry yeah. notes with mm, the kind nice, of chocolatey yeah. notes you might get a touch from from the dark malt yeah sounds like a uh, yeah, lovely I love doing a capped match as well we okay. do that for the dark lager just to try and just to get color into it. yeah I love doing those kind of bits but anyway, I love I love a dark lager as well um, we haven't spoken about Walthamstow and High Hill no. yet so let's get into it shall we John tell sure. me about the <laughs> crowdfunding experience tell me what it's allowed you to develop tell me how close you are to moving give me the whole picture okay so 2019 we found a site that we really loved mm-hmm. been looking for a few years we've outgrown these two railway arches probably when we did the refit i think it was 2016 <laughs> it got to the point where we knew that that was it not, not that we wanted to grow particularly we just we wanted a tap room, I think it's... Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just you hemorrhaging money if you're not running your own tap room these days, aren't you, really? I mean, you just, Pretty you, much. Yeah. It's what props up all the US breweries. Totally, yeah. yeah. But they find that strange when I told them, you know, when I was out there. Yeah, you, you're like, running a decent-sized yeah. brewery in the, the largest city in Europe, and you haven't got a tap room? No, <laughs> insane, right? But here we are. <laughs> Ten years later. So we found this site, bigger 
room for tech room, room for proper offices, room yep. for a lab, room for just presenting ourselves better. I mean, these railway arches, they're quite confined. Yep. And when we invite breweries over, brewed with uh, Evil Twin, we've brewed with um, Against the Grain, North, nice. Polly's. It's slightly embarrassing <laughs> to bring them around yep. to your house that's it's nowhere near theirs. It's pots and pans still, even though like the equipment's pretty decent. Yeah. Um, it's a railway arch in the middle of East London. Mm. It's not pretty. We never invited anyone in. We had uh, we do annual open days, mm. but they got too popular, so we ended up doing so. The last one we did a garden just next to the brewery. We ended up okay. The council uh, guys who run that that uh, was in there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, kind of a mini beer festival. Nice. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, had a great time. That was our eighth birthday. Ninth oh. birthday got cancelled. Yeah. Next sadly. year will be our tenth. Well, this year is will be our tenth. Yeah. 10th All right. Let's do it. That's good good timing for a nice move to a great new site around some great other breweries. Yeah. Got a dropper across the, the the waterway, the wetlands. Yes. Uh, Wildcard yep. are over literally over the road to our unit. Yeah. And there's Exhale, Signature. Signature, yeah. Truman's yep. down the bottom. Yep. And we fell in love with it. It was ticked all the boxes. We can make it work. Yeah. Then the pandemic hit and our business was hit very hard. Yes. Very hard. Like mm. the first three, four, five months of that were really tough. Sure. And the money we had put aside for it was beaten into quite substantially. Mm-hmm. And so we decided towards the end of the year to do a pay it forward campaign. We were very, yeah. very, I don't know if people call it the crowd. It was hosted by Crowdfunder, but it's, but it's a pay it forward yeah. campaign. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a stigma of Crowdfunder. Within the industry, uh, there's been a, yeah, there's been a couple of slightly sketchy ones, haven't yeah. there? I mean, there's been a lot of good ones, but they're, that's they're, true. That yeah. is true. That, yeah, but I think it came up. I think it was the first crowdfunder thing within the industry since a big after, one after the sketchy ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were we just wanted to remove. We didn't. It's not an equity thing because I don't no. believe in that. I don't no. think that anyone really benefits from that. Um, but that's just a personal. Yeah. I'm sure people do. I don't really know much about it. I think it's beyond my it's hard to say, isn't it? Whether, yeah, to, it is. to comprehend like its advantages or or not. We wanted people to put money in and get something out of it. So we yep. doubled people's bar tabs. Nice. At the bar, our new tap room, which yep. got an incredible response. And we, mm. I think, our initial target was ten grand. Um, there was a scheme set up by City Khan to, I think they had put in five grand if you hit a five grand target from 50 people. Yes. So yeah. that's kind of, we wanted the. That was what you were trying to, to tap yeah, into. Yeah, the little was the, kind was of the like mayor's 50 fund people. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And that's what it was for, it was a bounce back fund yeah, kind of great. part of thing. Yeah. And we did that like within an hour of opening. That's so fabulous. I, yeah. I think we hit 10 grand in the first day without <laughs> the extra funding on top. Nice. Yeah. And it just kept going up. I think 10 grand a week for four or five weeks. It was huh? just coming in every day. Just been like, it's not slowing down. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, it's like yeah, a yeah. steady flow of people just saying that they believe in us. Exactly. And that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I know they got a good deal on, on it. I, I was, yeah, uh, they were, so they're saying they believe in us. They're saying like craft beer as well. So that's uh, <laughs> a bit of each. <laughs> but I didn't expect to get anywhere near what no, we ended up nice. with. Um, yeah. and, and that's very humbling especially from from a business like ours which yeah is, you know in in the teeth of a pandemic as well yeah so, that yeah. as well especially mm. so the the new site is going to have mm. a well i don't know how many people we can actually safely get in in terms of spacing i think it's between 30 and 40 uh, but in, in in normal times i think it's nearly 50 60 okay. kind of yep. capacity mm-hmm. tap room yeah there's the what we're calling the beer hall which is the gap it's a six meter wide corridor, 20 meter long, that goes down the whole building. Blimey, that's um, a substantial space in its own right. Yeah, big yeah. space. Uh, wow. that's so, so that's right outside the tap room. We've opened up the tap room wall, so it looks straight out onto the brew floor. Right. So there's this big corridor we could call in the beer hall. We want to have tastings. and. So that's your event space, basically. That won't be it, open. Essentially, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, the tap room is self-isolated. We want it, again, from the New York scene. Yep. We took that sense of when you visit a brewery out there, you can go in and feel comfortable and be immersed yep. in their brand mm-hmm. and what they're doing and then their beers without them having to clear the floor, yeah, and set then, up tables, yeah. which always seemed a bit strange when 
I've been visited breweries that don't have that. It's an afterthought. Yeah. I mean, some it's, of it's kind of charming, but at the same time, yeah. it's not very welcoming, is it? Is it? <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's nowhere near going to be as amazing as, as Wyland's Taproom, which is mm. well, but just, that is very special, isn't it? That <laughs> is incredible, it's just amazing. That's that, that's, yeah, that's that really is unique. But we're stamping our own thing on it. We're, you know, the design is, is to, to kind of end because we're right next to the wetlands, we're right next to the gate, sure, yeah. into the wetlands. Okay, and lovely. So, design is very much trying to bring a lot of the nature. Yeah. from the wetlands into the brewery we try and bring that into the new new tap room site it's a, a beer garden so there's a big okay. yard as well yeah. so how, so how big's your outside space probably 20 meters square oh wow okay so you've got quite yeah. a few tables out there yeah the idea is that we're going to put a container bar out there okay um, nice. a green we wanted to do a green wall so there's like um yep. another unit that backs onto the back of it it doesn't look very pretty we want to use that to grow plants up Nice. Um, so there's all uh, an all year round kind of green space. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Trying to encourage a bit of nature in. Mm-hmm. So where are you up to in terms of the build out of the of the tap room? I mean, you know, so you... the the draining floor is in the okay. holy grail of a brewery. Nice, surely yeah. is a draining floor. Mm. We've never had one. We've had mops and buckets and stuff yeah. here. Even when we did the refit, it's been a nightmare. It's been a the hoover. Most, the most scarily expensive part of the entire yeah. build as well, I expect. Yeah. That you can't take with you when you move. No. The, uh, <laughs> Not that you're um, planning to move, of course. No, no. Uh, so um, cold room's pretty much done. Yep. Brew floors finished. The electrics are pretty much there. Brew kit is now over in the new site. It's in yep. place. FBs are being commissioned next. So all the brew kits are being commissioned over the next two weeks. Okay, great. Um, so you'll be brewing there by the end of March, or fingers crossed. Pretty- we've got a, we've got a canning date booked in for the thirteenth and fourteenth of April. Okay, so we need we need beer ready. Is that, that them that can or somebody else? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We use them. The, yeah. the tap room is very close to. So we've got to put the windows in, put the floor in. Mm-hmm. And then put the, there's a well, there's one bench that runs down one side. So we've opened up the two walls that open out onto the brew floor. Okay. And we put like a leaning bar in there. So we're going to put stools up so you can work there if you want. So a good side wedge of a, of a worktop that okay. goes nice. yeah. through the whole thing. And on the other side, there's again, leaning bar that, that the whole thing runs through. It's going to be an amazing space. The offices so, are a wreck still. They're upstairs. No one's going to see uh, it. Uh, and yeah, so we're, we're, we're getting close. It's going to take probably a couple more months to get it so you're planning to try and be open to coincide with the indoor opening permission yes. are you or, so, yeah. so uh, when we did the pay it forward campaign we we wanted to have a, an invite only to the people who put that money hmm. in to kind okay. of come down have like a presentation but obviously restrictions are in place to which means that we won't be able to do that no so i think the way we're going to do it is priority booking yeah. for the month of may okay. so we plan to be open by may at yeah. some point and offer three four weeks of, of priority for your pay it forward uh, to, to those guys yeah. and then whatever's extra open it up to the general yeah, public give, you, give have to book, you have yeah. to book for, mm. for may yeah. june is supposedly an opening up date yeah hopefully we'll be really, back to, but then yeah. we'll do a, a proper opening there so we can do a soft yeah. opening yeah through may with invite only that's or you know with invites yeah. and, and, and you'll have the container bar commissioned by them will you for june or? we fingers crossed yes yeah. but we are waiting for the council so the council are regenerating oh, no. that whole estate they're oh, okay. putting in powerpoints for food vans they want to turn it into like a weekend market oh, okay. it's going to be opening up the, another gate to the wetlands there oh that'd uh, be amazing Brilliant. Yeah. they're putting in green green thing, bike racks the green mm. space yeah it's going to be what their plans are really really good oh it's um, perfect yeah yeah I, I just don't know when they're going to start that. No, oh, sorry. I thought you said you, you were going to wait on waiting on the license for the outdoor bar or whatever. But oh no, no, we, we've got all the licensing. That's oh, all okay. done. Okay with that. <laughs> I take um, back my uh, my tut when you mentioned the council. <laughs> uh, well, we have to wait for the council to do the work before okay. we, yeah. we. We're still umming and ahhing on how to because part of it we're building um, an acoustic baffle, a five mm. meter high acoustic baffle for um, there's housing not directly mm. behind us, but it's close. And if we're going to have not just us, if Wildcard and the estate have gatherings, we were concerned yeah. that that is a, essentially a corridor of noise. Yeah. So we asked the council if they would, as part of their development, build that, and that's in our yard. 
Okay. So we wait for that to happen, hmm. and they're going to replace our fence as well with a okay. nice folding, so we can open all up, open up our space hmm. into what they're developing. Nice. So this all kind of becomes a nice flow across the whole estate, and everyone's mingle. And oh, not, sounds fantastic. Yeah. So we're waiting for that to at least get a date before we start on the yard. So I don't know. No. We might have the yard within some kind of readiness. We might not, depending on. But when even we start. still, people can buy their beer indoors and walk oh, out yes. into the yes, yeah, so, so, yeah, yeah. It just won't be that pretty. We wanted no, to. But, I mean, we look, wanted to know, open with a bang. But, but uh, June, July, you know, those are going yeah. to be the months when that's where people yeah. uh, people want yeah, to be yeah. out on the terrace, don't they? Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah, English summer, <laughs> notwithstanding. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, the Black Horse Beer Mile is going to be a thing, then, isn't it? Let's let's get it uh, on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's plenty plenty going on there. My, my preferred loop would be to probably visit our friends at Pressure Drop, have a lovely, yep. uh, um, lovely walk across the wetlands, pop out at us, and then work your way down to Black Horse Lane. The uh, uh, lovely little loop because so yeah. if you get in at Tottenham Hale, it takes yep. you around to the to Black Horse Road, and it's yep. you know, if you, even if you're coming in from Cambridge or. Or from Essex, yeah, it's, it's a great little spot. Tottenham Hale's like a, a real little hub, yeah, connectivity. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's Victoria quite, Lines, quite a busy station, so, an yeah. incredible route, you know, down South London, to Central yeah. London. It's incredible, and there's overland, so it's incredibly well connected. So, mm. for a weekend of especially like that, that walk through the wetlands is incredible. You would you feel like you've left London, right. For, for about 20, 30 minutes as you walk nice. across it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's really special. It's so, it's so quiet and there's nature. <laughs> which uh, I'm sure there's nature in London, but like mm. not like that. I think I've I've walked around London enough and I've walked through there. And Almost every week when I do this podcast interview, I'm convinced that I need to visit the brewer that I'm interviewing, but I'm really convinced that I need to come and do that walk across oh, the wetlands from pressure please, drop please, across please. to you guys when you're opening the summer. Yes, that sounds hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. hundred percent. That is that's that's a great uh, it's just great. Great two great breweries either side of a lovely walk. Mm. Great. I can't wish more than that. No, definitely not. Let's talk about Anvil Crawler, which I am yes. uh, working my way through. I had a can of it last night as well because you very kindly sent two through. So uh, mm. I uh, it seemed like the right s- <laughs> like a Sunday night beer as well. So I had one last night as well. But this is your 6.4% hazy IPA. Tasting notes, I have say, this super fruity hazy IPA is packed full of Idaho 7 and a Zaka, fermented with our new house blend of yeast to add more depth and character to this juicy number. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Idaho 7. Right. Um, so, I, you know, that's a great start for me. I think this is, a, this is a lovely fruity beer, but it's got decent bitterness as well. When you see it described as a hazy IPA, or if I, I even uh, on untapped, actually, it's, it's categorized as New England IPA, which is curious. because I this, think um, there's, uh, I think uh, Matt, Matt Curtis wrote an article about this, about yeah. IPAs relatively recently, and in part of his thing was, especially in London, the London IPA. And I think this is a London IPA. It's right. got bitterness but it has that soft it has the fruit it has the hops it has that kind of roundness that you Mm. expect but it's not in new england and i and i and that's why it's not written on the can i mean it for me it needs i think it was like the 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 u.s are are trying to term it mountain beer yeah which is just like western east yeah it's got got the hazy fruitiness and it's got the west coast bitterness yeah which is which i think is like what we're aiming for and that's what we've so we, we brewed a new england with kcbc when they came over right that was our collab sleeping giants mm-hmm. one of the first we released with a new rebrand and it was great but i think that's where that style ends for me in terms of brewing it i think it lacked the bite and that longevity that that bite brings to a beer right the trouble i find with new england is that the flavor drops off very quickly Mm-hmm. in your mouth you know you had a sip it drops off and you want more not because you are enjoying it it's because you can't taste it and right. i think that that is not the beers that we want to make okay so that it's like i, I want our beers to last so we just kind of savor the flavor almost and then when it's gone you go ah oh, i'm gonna get another one yeah, yeah. rather than i i mean I, I do this i i get a third or a half and i go that's great what's next yeah um but I want to brew beers that people will have a third or a half and go, oh, yeah, I'll have that again. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think bitterness plays an important part in that, yep. even if it's just enough to kind of hook you in. Yeah. Which is where I think this... So Anvil Crawler is, uh, again, part of our development process of our hazy beers. Mm-hmm. 
and this has got the most amount of oats in I think we've put in any beer so far. Okay. Mm -hmm. The yeast strains that we've blended, so it's it's not just one yeast strain; it's it's a blend. I don't really want to go too much into it, no. <laughs> but we're experimenting with what aspects of yeast do what, so biotransformation right. or fermentability, or so. So we're it's trying to balance out with what hops we use with the yeast strain. Okay. And the choice of hops from this came from a Finback collab that we did right. out there mm -hmm. where those guys, uh, Idaho, I was, Idaho 7 and Zaka were, were, right. was in that and mm -hmm. we brought that back. We nice. wanted to try it with the grain bill that was bumped up from, from our core range, which right. is Mysterious Spectre, which is our mm -hmm. core hazy bale, which carries, which I just find it just carries those, those hops just a little bit further than... Right. Them without it's, it's that mouthfeel it's that mm -hmm. the longevity of those hops i think oats and wheat really add that into yes into those recipes that we had before mm -hmm. so mysterious specter is a the development of various other beers over time so it's okay. just kind of like got heritage and that's mm -hmm. why it's part of our core range and so it's so anvil crawler is kind of like a bumped up version of mysterious specter with the hops from the finback collab and nice. the yeast strain that we're, we're trying to develop. So it's like this beer for me is the most exciting thing we've done. Okay, great. Um, in terms of the progression of the brewery. Right. Yeah. And we're super happy with the, the blend of yeasts. In, yep. It's added. So usually a lot of our beers use USO5 as a okay. kind of a base to, you know, to let the, the hops shine because it's so neutral. No. But I think that's where we want to now start developing the interactions between the esters that the yeast produce yeah. the hop varieties that we pick and the malt base mm -hmm. to really push through that right we're happy with this malt base we're happy with this top selection yeah yeast is the next step on the, the journey next to play with yeah, yeah and probably that we'll do that for about for the next year while we look at new kit going in when, yeah. when i want to get um RO involved, reverse osmosis yeah. mm -hmm. involved, where we yeah. can play with water profile. But I want to have the backbones and the building blocks of the malt, the hops, the yeast, as advanced as we can get it to then yeah. play with the water profiles mm -hmm. to more than what we do at the moment, which is we treat our water in the, in the kettle and the mash tun to neutralize hard. To try and soften really. it down. Yeah, yeah. trying to soften yeah. it. That's, yeah. that's our main battle at the moment, yeah. is just soften the water down. It's kind of the next steps for us over the next couple of years. That's how I can see our development plan laid out uh, of of what to change and when we try and do it scientifically we change one thing mm. see what it's comparative to the previous one so that's why having a core range is <clears throat> it's great having yep. a core range because i can pick out a batch we did the week before and go yep. we tweaked this one thing mm. it's almost indecipherable yep. to anyone drinking it but did it make it better did it have yep. the outcome that we have what do you predict for the london beer scene in the next couple of years then it's a tough market out there. I, I think we started on a shoestring. Like mm -hmm. it was, it was nothing, you know. And you see breweries open up with a lot of money behind them. Yep. Uh, and when we were through the kind of the gold rush days of 2013, 2014, where there was a new brewery every week and some of them didn't survive. No. So they just didn't have enough backing or didn't have the right beer or the business behind it yep. wasn't quite right. Or they didn't have the right motives or the I feel like the brewing industry now has hit a plateau where entering the brewing industry in, in London we're, we're about 150 breweries yeah London, that would be about right, right. yeah yeah Something like that varying levels of it it's very hard to carve anything out now I think so yeah. it depends on what your motives are and I think if you want to be want to be a contender you've got to have some money behind hmm. it. so what about yeah. the u.s model of pure taproom focused only worried about your local market don't care if you if you never sell a beer further than a mile from the brewery but if you're in the right location you could do your 100 percent your turnover through the taproom does that not work in london um depends where you are in london and what space you've got and there's not a lot of industry and i suspect. suppose you need the money to to be able to establish that right kind of space yeah to start with. yeah uh, 
so where we are, you know, these railway arches are being, we've, everyone's being priced out and mm-hmm. like politics around them. They're the only, uh, in terms of East London, that's the mm-hmm. kind of only industrial space. But, so let's talk about your space right there. So, so you're, yeah. you know, this time next month, that, those two arches will be vacant. So couldn't somebody set a brewery up in one arch and have a tap room in the other arch and make a decent business out of that? The rent is ridiculous. Is it? And that's yeah. you know, part of why we're moving is rent based. Where we're going is it's equivalent of these two arches. Huh. 20 minutes up the road, it's four times the amount of space. Oh, wow. And yeah. It's prohibitive. So what can we expect to see from Hackney in the next few months then, John? What are you about to start putting in tank and um, what have you got in can that people can, can get at the moment? At the moment, we've got a good range still. So we've got long range, which is the Fruity Pale, yep. Anvil Crawler, which is the mm-hmm. IPA. Yep. We've got High Hill. The last few cases of High Hill, which is the beer we made for the new site to celebrate the new site, yeah, to launch that. that which, which, yeah, there's, there's literally the last few cases of that now. More sours, we've got peaches and mojitos oh, that yeah. are currently available. Got core range, mm-hmm. uh, so lag is we're probably gonna we're, we're very short on lager at the moment, right? We've got so our standard Capel pale ale, mm-hmm. uh, last little bit of boogie van. Uh, we've got um. Quite a nice west coast called Sloop Life. Okay, nice. Plenty um, of that still. Mm. There's a stout, uh, maple and pecan stout. Oh yeah, very yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, so there's a good range of stuff kicking around at the moment. Uh, going forward, we t- so the general layout of the beers that we tend to have available at any one time. Always a sour, always a stout. As soon as they're running out, we brew another one. Right. Um, the core range, which is Kapow, Lager, Boogie Van, IPA. And uh, Mysterious Spectre, which is... Um, so they'll be the first brews, hopefully in a few weeks' time, will be Kapow Lager, the Mysterious Spectre and Boogie Van to bring up all of that. Nice. And then going forward, we've, we've got our 10-year 10, 10 anniversary this year. Yeah, so what's lunch. the date of that? I, I didn't press you on that earlier, and I should have known. According to the books, it's okay. the 7th of July, but I think we'll push it to the end of July. It'll be probably right. the, the last weekend of July. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's going to be a big... Yeah. big party hopefully hopefully when we can really kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, pack, pack the site get, pack you know, the get site some out. get some food trucks in nice oh yes oh yes that's the the aim of of this summer mm-hmm. is to try and celebrate us moving it's a great it's a great time to move you know it's, it's it, it really it's is perfect, a celebration perfect time of year absolutely yeah and, you know um so i'm sure we'll do we generally do a birthday beer every okay. year anyway so we'll, we'll do something along the lines of, of that so where should people in. go to get those beers you can get like mixed cases if you want to try a bit of everything from our website, tankybrewery.co.uk or hackney.beer. Also, thanks you to to our website. Nice. I'm sure various other bottle shops will stock us probably. I'm sure maybe. they will. Or go to, your local, uh, yeah. go to your local bottle shop and ask them. If it's, they don't uh, stock you, they should be. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Pretty easy to get hold of. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we ship over the UK. Yeah. Let's move to the shout out to the little guy. And okay. here, here, I ask you to mention a small local beer business that particularly impresses you. It might be another brewery or a tap room, a bottle shop. It could even be a cafe or a restaurant that is doing a great job promoting craft beer in your part of London. Well, I am very, very lucky to be very close to Shoreditch and Dalston and Beth McGreen. Which, yep. uh, which between the two of those two ends of East London are, mm. are packed full of, of beer venues. I mean, they really are, yeah. Um, you've got the King's Arms, got all the way up to Red Hand, to the Bethel Green Tavern, the Sun Tavern, there's Boxcar, mm. Old Street Brewery, mm. 40 Foot Brewery, the small up-and-coming breweries. They're some of the best around here. I'm sure there's some even smaller ones tucked away somewhere that I've forgotten. If I was to press you for one shout-out. For me... Personally, I think yeah. Red Hands, the venue is was known yeah. amongst these parts as the beer industry common room because yeah. people you'd just walk in there and you would just find someone from another brewery, yeah, yeah. a distributor or another pub in there. Or it, it was where everyone went yep. to hang out and their beer selection is immaculate and nice. the staff are so welcoming. So I'd say the Red Hands probably is a better major shout out there to, sure. to those guys. All right. But I'm sure there, there's so many. Around there here. are, no, I, it's nuts. It, yeah. Again, it's quite a tough question. It's like, who's your favourite band? I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll settle for that. Red Hand's good shout. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Very good. So we get to the wrap-up question, John, and it is, what would be your ultimate happy hour? Where would you be 
who would you be with and what would you be drinking? And this is non-COVID restricted. So this is a fantasy question. I'd be in New York. Okay. That seems to be my my home. It's just so welcoming there. Some of the best nights I've had have been spent with the Finback guys and the KCBC guys. Nice. So where would you, if I was to press oh, you on a specific would location, would you be in the KCBC tap room or? I would be in Torst actually. Okay. I yeah. think I'd go there again mm-hmm. um, with, I mean, I love those tap, guys, guys tap rooms and I would be with those breweries. Uh, Fifth Hammer, yeah. KCBC, Finback, Jesse from Interborough, I, mm-hmm. they're Jason from Strong Rope. Right. The transmitter guys. They're all so lovely. Right. And I, <laughs> this time last year, I was actually in New York at the New York Beer Festival. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I've never felt so welcome right. ever. And the, even the event organizers were just we've seen you so many times you come like you know you come up i come up a week i tend tend to kind of do a week once a year i don't really i don't do very much i mean i just potter into the brewery to say hello but they 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 seem to kind of really respond to just nice that just you know i see your face i know your face that's enough yeah and uh so if i could press you to name a specific beer that you would be drinking with those guys in toast uh, shout out to the Barrier guys as well. I just remember that. Barrier, yeah, they're super lovely. Um, Doesn't even have to be a New York beer. You can you can pluck a beer from somewhere else. Steady yeah. Rolling Man. Steady, yeah. good shout. Yeah, Steady yeah. Rolling Man. Yeah, or, or Sonoma by Track. Mm. That's uh, also great shout. Yeah, depending on whether you were driving. John, sure, lots sure. of fun chatting with you. Can't wait to see how the move turns out. Definitely going to come and see you guys walk across the wetlands from Pressure Drop. I will be there for sure this summer. Real pleasure chatting to you. Thanks so much for your time this evening. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it's been great. Brilliant. Thank you. Coming up in the next few weeks, we have interviews with some of the UK's most exciting craft breweries. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you decide to subscribe to the podcast so you receive each episode automatically every Tuesday morning. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and leave us a review in your podcast app. It really helps others to discover the show. Full details on all our podcasts can be found at thisweekincraft.beer. You can also follow This Week in Craft Beer on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube.